You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. We are continuing our series entitled Unwavering. Can you say that with me? Unwavering. And we're on week five. In the early 2000s when I was back in college, I remembered the energy that I had. You know, when you're, when you're in college, you feel that you're young. You feel that, you know, you have your whole life ahead of you. And as you're graduating, you become excited. People, you know, cheer you on, declare the potential that you have. You feel like the world is, you know, the world is just filled with open doors of opportunity for you to walk into. And you're excited. Can you go back to your college days? Can you remember with me? Some of you are laughing. You're thinking, what was I wearing? What was I thinking? And, you know, with that energy, with that excitement, we usually set a list of goals for ourselves, right? A bucket list of the things that we want to do. We, we don't know what to do with the energy. We feel like we have a whole life to experiment on things. So we have a list of goals. Some of those goals include, you know, traveling the world. Who wanted to travel the world when they graduated? You know, as if it's that, you know, as if we could afford it with the money and the time. And we also have, you know, starting up our own business. You know, it doesn't matter what business it is. When people ask you what business, it doesn't matter. Just as long as, you know, I hold my time, just as long as I get to decide if I go to work or not, just as long as I don't have a boss breathing down my neck, you know, it's okay. I'm good with that business. And with that kind of work ethic, we expect to get rich and successful. You know, managing to somehow win the lottery or whatever, but we want to be able to be rich so that we can retire early. Say at the age of, I would say 40, but yeah, 35. Retiring at the age of, good old age of 35, you know, with, with a yacht and, you know, living in an island, enjoying the sunset with a drink in your hand, living the life, and, you know, probably manage to get married by the age of 30. Everyone's silent right now. I'm past 30, but I'm still believing, of course, that that would happen. And, you know, we come up with a lot of lists. We, we, we list crazy things. We list valid things. And we are excited. We hold this list in our hands. And we feel like, again, I can conquer the world. But then, after graduation, one, two years pass, these things don't happen. So you're like, okay, I, I, I'd continue. I'd persevere. Three, four, five years. Okay, what was I... Is, are these still valid? Could this still happen? Six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. You know, none of these things are happening. The excitement, you know, the long list of possibilities slowly turn into a list of impossibilities. The people who were cheering you on are now the very people that put pressure on you. Hindi ka pa magpapakasal? Kailan ka mag-aanak? Tsaka pa rin nagtatrabaho? Yan pa rin sweldo mo? The list of impossibilities become a list of nevers. These voices, you start entertaining the nevers. Can you say it with me? Never. Never. A simple word, two syllables. But it has the power to crush our dreams. It has the power to crush our vision. It has the power to plant even the, the fear in the heart of even the bravest dreamer. Never. I'll never get a job. I'll never get promoted. I'll never get married. I will never have children. I'll never get healed. I will never be enough. Never, never. 
list of dreams turn into a list of nevers, and it makes us feel like time is running out. Like all of the doors of opportunity that we saw when we graduated are now slowly closing and we're losing time to fulfill our dreams. And again, we hear the pressure from the people around us, especially our titos and titas, and it brings you to a position where you feel like you have to put matters into your own hands. I need to do something. I need to do anything. I need to do everything. Even if it means doing the wrong thing, just so I can fulfill my dreams. And sadly, that doesn't happen just for our dream list. Sometimes even in our promise list, the list of promises that God has given us that we are waiting for, we tend to feel like we have to put matters into our own hands. We start losing hope. We start questioning God, we start losing faith and it puts us in a very ugly position where we are, you know, set to make bad decisions. And I don't know, it might have been a state that you were going through or you might be in that place right now. As we go back to the life of Abraham, we would see that this very position that we find ourselves in, he was also faced with that situation. Imagine Abraham, he was 75, he received the promise of having a child. Something he wished and prayed for his entire life. Now at 75, the doors are open and he embraces that promise. Ten years later, ten long years later, a whole decade, he finds himself in a foreign land, a wanderer, still without a son. How do you think he should respond? Should he continue to hold on to God's promises? Or will he allow the nevers to push him to make a decision on his own? I'm sure all of us here are dying to find out what he did. So I'm telling you, just get ready because it's going to be a crazy story. It's going to be crazier than the crazy storylines of the TV series that you watch. So get ready. I'd like to invite everyone to open their Bibles to Genesis chapter 16. We're going to read six verses today. Let's read from verse 1. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. Verse 3, So after Abraham had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abraham, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abraham said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful time. Thank you for your word that is alive and continues to speak to us and direct us up to this very day. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence in this place and we thank you that right now you are opening our minds, opening our eyes, opening our hearts to see, God, how you are moving in our lives. And I pray that as we go back to this story, the story of Abraham, that you would allow it to collide with our lives, with our situation, so that we may be inspired and we may be pushed, really, to exhibit faith, to put our complete trust in you, knowing that you are in control. 
Bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we just read six verses and I saw a lot of people really, you know, your eyes were going wide. What is happening? Is this really a story from the Bible? It seems like we just, you know, read the summary for Keeping Up with Abraham and Sarai Season 5. A lot of crazy things have happened. And as the story continues to unfold, we begin to realize that this series, Unwavering, is actually not about Abraham. He clearly wavered in his faith. In the past four weeks, we have seen him make decisions that make us go, what were you thinking? Did you actually do that? And, you know, he always manages to make decisions that are opposite from where God is pointing him. And today, we will see the same thing happening to three of our characters. We read from Genesis 16.1, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. So we'll be following the stories of three different people today, Abram, Sarai, and Hagar. Now this story is set 10 years after God first spoke to Abram. So it is uh, week one of our series. God gave him a promise, invited him to go to a foreign land. I think it's best for us to go back to the promise, to refresh our minds what we are talking about here. Genesis 12, 2 says, And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. So there's Abraham. At the age of 75, God gave him the promise of being a great nation. That meant he was going to be a father. That meant God was going to give him offspring, going to give him an heir, going to give him a child. And at this point of his life, he was 75, it seemed like an impossibility. But Abraham decided to believe God. We see how he embraced the promise when he left his home at Ur and went to that foreign land that God has promised. God said, I will give you a land. Abraham said, where? And God said, I will tell you later. Just come with me. And Abraham indeed followed God's instruction. So he went through the journey. He eventually settles in Canaan. And when he settles in Canaan, once again, God reminds him of this beautiful promise. God says to him in Genesis 13, 16, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Can you imagine? Abraham was always traveling along the desert. He would see a lot of dust, a lot of sand. And it used to annoy him, but now every time he sees it, it is a reminder of God's promise. As many as the sand and the dust there are, That will be the number of your offspring. It is a reminder of this wonderful promise. God clearly wanted to remind him of this promise every day. Now, Abraham once again believed the promise. But here's the thing. Years passed, years passed, two, three, four years, still no son. So Abraham was kind of, you know, what's happening here? So last week, we see how he gave the Lord quite a nudge, you know, trying to remind him, Lord, what's happening to the promise. Genesis 15 says, Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. You have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. The Lord answered Abraham, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. I bet when Abraham heard that, he was excited. And as he has given Abraham the metaphor of the dust, with this, In the dark of the night, he asked Abraham to look up and he said, as numerous as the stars in the sky, your offspring will be. God wanted to remind him of the promise by day, 
when there were a lot of dust, but by night when he looked up, he would still remember that promise. God wanted him to put the promise in his heart. God wanted to put that promise in his mind. He never wanted Abraham to forget the promise. Here's the thing though, 10 years later, 10 long years, still no son. Right now when we say 10 years, it seems short. But man, one, two years of waiting, again, it, you, know, it, you pray. Three, four years, you get down to your knees and pray harder. Five, six years, your faith starts to waver. Seven, eight, nine years, man, what's happening? Ten, the nevers start to get louder as the years go by. You're never going to have a child. The nevers were getting louder and Abraham felt like he was losing time. Every year that passed, the door of having a child seemed to get, you know, seemed to close little by little. Here's the thing though. When God gave the promise to Abraham, did he say when? No. But Abraham received it. And for a lot of us here, every time God gives us a promise, we accept it and we, we think that it will happen overnight. That all of a sudden, the following day, the promise is already there. And when it doesn't come, Lord, what's happening? Let's remember that every time the promise hasn't happened, it doesn't mean that it's a no. God is merely saying, wait, wait. So, you know, with Abraham, he was focusing on the winds. That's why his, his faith started to shake. God was asking him to choose faith right this very moment. And when we are talking about faith, it chooses to trust God even when we don't know the when. We are not the ones who will dictate the when. We are to wait for God's perfect timing. And faith patiently waits, knowing without question in our minds that God would be faithful to fulfill every single promise in His perfect time. Now, Abraham was clearly battling a lot of issues in his mind, but he was only half of the promise. The seed of the son was going to come from him, but who was going to bear that child? His wife, Sarai. Now, Sarai, we don't know what was happening in her mind, but as we go back to our original text, 10 years after the original promise, here's what Sarai says. Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And although jaws of the women in this place drop, what are you thinking? That's the worst nightmare of any wife or girlfriend to find out that your partner is sleeping with someone younger and beautiful. And here we have Sarai serving her servant to Abraham. Makes you think, Sarah, you're crazy. What has led you to this decision? Then you know, before we judge her, we go back 10 years before the promise. Abraham was 75, Sarai was 65. When they received the promise that they would have children, and when talking about age, she was way past her childbearing years. She didn't have the problems of monthly cycles anymore. Her body was probably too weak to be carrying a baby. So it was really a big question mark in their minds. And not only that, if you take the age away, when we go back, Sarai was actually barren. She was incapable of reproducing. Before God spoke to Abraham, we see a genealogy of Abraham's family going back to like his great-grandfathers. So great-grandfather, this is the number of children that he had. Then they would mention the names. Grandfather, this was the number of children that they had. 
father of Abraham, this was the number of children that they had. Brother of Abraham, this was the number of children that he had. Abraham, now Sarai was barren, she had no child. Can you imagine their family gatherings? Every Christmas when you would take family pictures by the tree, the other families would, you know, have a problem trying to squeeze in all of their sons and daughters in one picture. And when the time came when the family of Abraham would be, it was, it was only the two of them. Sad and awkward. And people would say, you know, next year will be your year. And then the following year, it was once again the two of them. Every single year, Sarai probably dreamt of having children her whole life. It was something, it was a prayer in her heart. And, you know, during the Old Testament, children were actually a sign of blessing. The more children that you had, the more blessed you were by God. And having a closed womb, your womb was closed. If you were unable to bear children, it meant that you were cursed or it was a punishment for a sin that you committed. So Sarai was living a very challenging life. People were looking at her, you know, with sharp looks saying, I don't, how come this person doesn't, can't bear children? What sin did she commit? She was living a very difficult and challenging life. Maybe that's why, you know, she was living a painful life. Maybe that's why Sarai was her name. Sarai ko po. Sarai. You know, and when she reached her senior years, she kept hoping and hoping every year, every year, every year. When she reached her senior years, that was the final nail on the coffin. The never became a reality. I am never going to have children. I am never going to be a mother. A painful fact for her to embrace, but nonetheless, she, she already settled with it. Can you imagine her heart when she heard the promise from God that he would give them children? I bet her heart skipped, but she had to catch it. I don't want to hope again. I've been hoping for so long, but then the door has opened. I guess it wouldn't hurt if I believed. It could happen. So, yeah, she decided to believe. Let's see what happens. And we see from the beginning, it was never about her. It was never about Abraham. It was never about their age. It was never about their capabilities. It was never about their limitations. It was always about God, about what He can do, about His power, about His plans. So when God promised that to them, He was asking them to fix their eyes on Him. Because if they would see what was happening around them and they would consider their capabilities, it would be a big never. It would be a big no. But once you allow God to enter the, the situation, everything changes. So God was asking them, fix your eyes on me and I will make sure that this promises come true. Now years passed by. You know the excitement of Sarah, I'm going to have a baby. So you know every time someone had a baby, you know, she would carry it. Oh, I'm finally going to have my own. One, two, three years pass. You start attending birthday parties and people start asking, where's your baby? I thought it was promised. And you run out of things to answer. So the excitement that she felt initially started becoming, you know, a feeling of dread. I don't want to go there anymore. They'd ask me and I don't know what to answer. I'm, I'm running out of polite ways to answer them. Four, five, six years after, the dread starts to turn into disappointment. I think God has forgotten me. Seven, eight, nine, ten years, it turns into frustration. The never started to get louder and louder in her mind. You are never going to have children. That promise is never going to happen. She knew the promise. Then she went back to it and started to reevaluate it. God promised Abraham a child. 
10 years later, why hasn't it happened? Could it be because of me? Could it be because I'm barren? Am I the obstacle from the fulfillment of the promise? What can I do? Then she goes back to the promise. God said, Abraham, you will be a great nation. He promised Abraham a son, but he did not mention my name. She looks up and sees her servant. Maybe it's not with me. Before we judge Sarah, before we think that this is a crazy idea, before we file a case against her for maltreatment of her servant and sexual harassment, let me tell you that during this time, it was actually something that was socially and culturally acceptable. Heirs were very important in the Old Testament. They were to take over the patriarchs. They were to take over taking care of the family and making the decisions and the family business. So if the wife was unable to produce children, it was socially accepted for them to ask their slave to sleep with their husband. It was okay socially. They didn't have any problems with it. And legally, when the servant gave birth, the baby would be owned by the legal wife, the original wife. But here's the thing, it was accepted socially, culturally, legally. But even if it's a check in all of those things, we know that in the eyes of God, it will never be accepted. When we start to evaluate the promise, do you actually think God would promise Abraham a son that would require him to sleep with another woman? Even with us, do you think God will promise you a promotion, but it would require you to pay someone off or to do dirty deals? Will God promise you to be on the top of your class but would require you to cheat? And for the singles out here, do you think God will promise you a spouse but it would require you to be with someone who does not even acknowledge Him? Sarai was in that position. She was 75 years old. She knew the promise. She checked her situation. She could not understand, fathom how it would happen. And I think that's a big problem for all of us. Once we cease to understand how it would happen, we lose faith. I don't understand. I think I'll put matters into my own hands. And in this situation, she was focusing not on God, not on the promise giver. She was focusing on the how it would happen. And at this moment, God was asking her to choose faith. Faith chooses to trust God even when we don't know the how. Leave it up to God. The how of faith is something that usually just makes sense in the hindsight when it has already happened. And a lot of times, even if it has already happened, we still cannot explain it. The only way to explain it is that my God is powerful, my God is able, glory to Him. Now we see, once again, 10 years after the promise, Abraham was worried about the wind, Sarah was worried about the house, but we've been following them for the past four weeks like a teleseries. So I know that all of us here, we're rooting for them to make the right decision. Yes, we want them to succeed. We want them to exercise their faith. Especially because we know that, spoiler alert, years later, the promised child would be given to them. Here's the thing though, for this couple, the reality of having the child, it didn't sink in. Because they couldn't touch it. They couldn't see the child. And that's the funny thing with faith. Faith is being sure of something even when you can't see it and when you can't hold it. A lot of people would tag that as crazy. But with God in the picture, that is what you call faith. And God rewards faith. Sadly, for this couple, 
They chose to focus on the house. They chose to focus on the winds. They allowed the nevers to be so loud in their mind that they ended up, you know, losing faith. They started to believe the nevers rather than God's promises. And the nevers brought them to a point of putting matters into their own hands. Now again, we see Sarah's master plan. Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. If you were Abraham, husbands here, if you were Abraham and your wife came to you with this proposition, what would you say? Is this a trick question? Is there a right or wrong answer? What are you trying to do? And Abraham sees that she's serious. He doesn't know what to say. This remains to be a plan as of this moment, but we see in the, in the verse, says, Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. This is where everything goes on a downward spiral. He listened. He obeyed the voice of Sarai. He heeded her plan. And we can blame Sarai all we want. But in truth, Abraham, as the leader of this family, Abraham, as the one who received the promise from God, could have easily shut this plan down. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to have faith. But he decided to sign up on it. Again, Hagar was an Egyptian. She was, she was young. She was beautiful. So Abraham was probably like, mm, does this sound familiar? It's not very far from what happened in the Garden of Eden. The wife came with a plan. And husbands, I'm not telling you not to listen to your wives. I'm telling you to prayerfully consider all of the decisions that you are making. And again, both of them had a fault here. Even if the plan came from Sarai, both of them took their hands and they decided to together walk outside of the will of God. Both of them were at fault. And sadly, because they decided to step out of the will of God, they decided to go ahead of God. They thought they had a better plan. They would learn the hard way this truth. That we never win by going ahead of God. There's no winning. Even if you think, I'm going to help God, we can never help God. We're the ones who need help from Him. Let's not flatter ourselves, we can never help God. Most of the time, when we go ahead of Him, thinking that we are so wise, we, we end up with a mess blowing up in our face, and you know, we ask Him to clean it up for us. And the truth is we never lose by waiting on Him. Sometimes we think that we are losing a lot of things as we are waiting, but in truth, we will never lose because His timing is always perfect. He will give us everything that we need in His perfect time. Let's praise God. Sadly, the couple rushed into that decision. You know, as an outsider, I couldn't help but think, didn't Abraham consult with God? He could have easily asked God, you know, God was his friend. He could have said, Lord, we have this plan. What do you think about it? Or he could have talked it out with one of his friends. That friend could have easily rebuked him and, you know, reminded him of God's promise. And it reminds me how important it is for all of us to be connected with people who would pray for us, who would journey with us. Again, as I said in the beginning of this preaching, we are called to honor God not only individually but as a community. So if you are here, you are not yet connected with someone, you're not part of a small group, man, I'm telling you, it would save you a lot of bad decisions if you have people around you supporting you and praying with you. So if you're not yet part of a small group after this service, kindly approach me and I will be more than happy to connect you with one of our leaders. Now, I know what's going on in your mind. You know, 2007, I joined Victory. And someone invited me to a small group. 
And I was like, you know, it's going to be a bunch of guys talking about problems, praying, probably crying. I don't want to be part of that. 2013, I finally signed up for one. And the first time I attended the small group, I said I should have joined this years ago. So open your hearts, give it a try. Sadly, Abraham didn't have a group around him, so they rushed into this decision, and quickly they would see how chaotic things would turn out. Verse 3 says, So Abraham lived 10 years in the land of Canaan. Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. They thought they were the only ones who were going to get affected by the consequences of this plan. Hagar was actually the first one who would, you know, suffer the consequences. Hagar was a slave. She was obliged to follow whatever her master says, and in this case, to sleep with Abraham. She was going to be promoted from slave to wife in just one night. And you know, her being a wife is not on the same level as Sarai. She was, of course, lower, but nonetheless, she was forced to obey what her master said. It says in verse 4, and Hagar, he went into Hagar, and she, you know, Hagar, he went into Hagar, and Hagar was probably, wagpoko, yeah. But then she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. She started out as a victim. She ended up a contrabida. Nagyabang. Maldita. So there she was. You know, Sarai, probably lower, lower as a wife, but you know, I'm the wife who can bear Abraham children. Boom. Can you imagine? Sarai was like, uh, hey girl, can you give me water? Mom, I can't. I'm busy. Wow! Or, Mom, tapos na po ba kayo sa manga? Kakain kasi ako. Wow! Attitude. That was when Hager's name turned to, Hager's name became Chody. Attitude. <laughs> um, attitude. So, you know, and this drove Sarah wild. Because the reason why she came up with this plan was because she was so insecure. She wanted to have a child. She was tired of people looking at at her and judging her. And now she was used to people judging her, but not her slave, not you. But Hagar started to, you know, feel entitled, walking around like she was the woman of the house. And when, when this happened, Sarai, she was so irritated, she was so mad, she didn't want to blame herself. She didn't want to blame God. So who does she blame? Poor Abraham. Can you imagine her running? She says to him, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. So Abraham, if you were Abraham, what would you say? You'd be standing there and this was your plan. And he couldn't really say anything. He wanted him out of her face. And you know, he just said, you know, she's your slave. Do whatever you want with her. And again, Sarai, she decides to treat Hagar harshly. Harshly, not only verbally, but also physically. And Hagar was pregnant. So she feared for her life. She feared for the life of her baby. She ended up running away. What a big mess. How can you solve that? It started out with such a good plan to make things better. But Sarai ended up insecure and jealous of her servant, a concubine that she herself paired up with her husband. 
And here we have Abraham, 75 years old, in the middle of two women fighting for his attention. Pogi ni kuya. What a situation to be in. And here we have Hagar with an unwanted child. And instead of receiving love, she was receiving maltreatment. She was receiving hate. And here we see that really nothing good comes out of going ahead of God. Nothing good comes out of, of going outside His will. All we do is we will create a mess and you can't plan out that mess. I don't think any of us would imagine the mess that we are in when it started with such a small thing. That's the thing when it comes to sin. We can choose our sin, but we cannot choose the consequences. And we cannot decide how long we will suffer the consequences of our sin. It was really tough. It can start with this plan. It can start with such a small lie, with a small you know, instance of cheating, but it can blow up. It seemed like a good plan. It seemed like they were the only ones who would suffer the consequences. But in truth, when we see the consequences of this sin are still being suffered by the people up to this day and age. Because the descendants of the son of Hagar, Ishmael, are the Arabs. And we see that they are at war with the Jews, who are the descendants of the son of Sarai, Isaac. The strife that was happening between the two mothers are still being fought by their descendants up to this very day. One sin, multi-generational consequences. And sadly, some of our sins, our children suffer the consequences and the child, their children after that. And all of these things could have been avoided only if Abraham and Sarai decided to trust and wait on God. How many times have we gone ahead of God? How many times have we suffered the consequences? Some of us still suffering it up to this very day. And again, it brings us to a point where we become hopeless. All because we focused on the wrong things. We focused on the hows, on the whens. We allowed the things happening around us to be our focus. That's why we became problematic. That's why the never started to get loud. We were never meant to focus on the whens and the hows when it comes to faith. All we have to focus on is the who, our unwavering God. The never start gaining power once we entertain the hows and the whens that point to no, that point to never, that point to impossible. And I pray that today as we learn from this story that we would exercise faith. We would not allow the nevers to control us. In fact, the only never that we should remember is that God will never let us down. He will remain faithful even when we are faithless. And that is something that we see in this story. Thank God it did not end there. God met each and every one of them and straightened it out. Hagar, she was an Egyptian woman. She probably never heard about God. She probably didn't have a relationship with him. She was living outside the will of God. But as she was running away, probably she was thinking, no one cares about me, no one understands me, no one will listen to me, no one will help me. She was probably running back to her family, going to Egypt. But in the middle of that travel, God met her. She wasn't seeking God, but God met her. That's, that's how loving and faithful our God is. God says to her, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. What? She was just slapping me an hour ago. Why will I go back to her? Sometimes the plans of the Lord, they don't make sense to us. Again, it's not for us to decide whether it's right or wrong. All we are called to do is to obey him. And it was probably going to be difficult for Hagar 
She was running away from the harsh treatment, but the Lord was inviting her to go back into His will. The Lord was inviting her not only to submit to the authority of Sarai, but to submit to His authority, to put her trust on Him. And as we continue reading, he knew that it was going to be difficult. He gave Hagar a promise. I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. I think a lot of us here could relate to Hagar. Probably we were victims of you know, bad decisions, consequences that other people made, and we feel like we are victims. We feel like no one understands us. We feel like no one is go- going to listen to us. No one is going to care for us. Today, the Lord is reminding you that He does care for you. He hears your cries. He hears you even when you think you are alone. And He does not only hear you, He understands how you feel. In fact, it breaks His heart that you are feeling pain right now. And He does not only know your situation, He wants to save you from that situation. Just like Hagar, all he is asking from you is to submit to his authority. Hagar went back. She bore the son Ishmael. Ishmael means the Lord has listened to your affliction. Let me tell you today, the Lord is listening. He is hearing and he will answer in his perfect time. This shows the heart of God to seek and to save the lost. Even if Hagar did not know him, he reached out. And, you know, she believed and it changed her life forever. Now, she, she was a different case. She had been always outside the will of God. Now we have Abraham and Sarai who were inside the will of God, but they did by choice. They held hands and they by choice rebelled against God, stepped outside of His will. What do you think they deserve? They deserve punishment, but we see how faithful and loving our God is. He still proves faithful. He fulfills the promise that He had for them, even if they strayed. Spoiler alert, this should be two weeks from now, but I'm going to read it anyway. Genesis chapter 21, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. We see that God changed their names already from Sarai to Sarah, from Abraham to Abraham. It was a sign of God changing their heart. Once again, taking them, renewing them, restoring them into a relationship with Him. They were to be known as the mother and father of many nations. And this is a perfect picture of really how faithful our God is. They had to wait an extra 15 years, but still the son was given. You know, in this day and age when everything happens so fast, with everything instant, with everything happening with just a click, we see waiting as something negative. Waiting is wasted time, but it's never a wasted time when it comes to God. Time is actually one of the best tools that He uses to mold us, to mold our hearts, to make us become more like Him. As we wait, we are not to wait idly. We are not to wait ranting. We are to wait fixing our eyes on Him, declaring our dependence on Him, glorifying Him, worshiping Him, knowing that He will be faithful to fulfill His promises. In fact, He did that for Abraham. Can you imagine if He promised Abraham a son and the following day He gave the son? Do you think Abraham would have submitted to his plans? Abraham would have forgotten about him. With Joseph, he received the plan of becoming a great leader when he was a teenager. It took years for him, but when the time came, he was raised up to become the vice pharaoh of Egypt. Do you think if he was placed as a teenager... He would be effective. There are blessings that, yes, are good, but given at the wrong time would be destructive. 
I'm sure the parents here would agree that it would be nice for your children to have a car, but you would not give them a keys to a car and a license at the age of eight. They would need to mature, and that's what happens when we wait. God is calling us to mature, and it's not when it comes to age, it, it comes with our dependence on Him, our commitment to Him. And here's the thing, as we fix our eyes on Him, He is able to reveal to us more about His character. And as we fix our eyes on Him, we begin to realize that, yes, the promises that I am holding on to, they are wonderful, but nothing can be more wonderful than the gift of having God in my life. What a wonderful gift, better than all of the promises put together. And here's the thing, you know, again, waiting, it allows us to become more like God. Victor Raymond Edmond, former president of Wheaton College, said, delay never thwarts God's purpose. Rather, it polishes His instrument. As we wait, our faith becomes stronger. As we wait, as we behold Him, we become more like Him. And you know, they even say that if the blessing is great, the preparation will be greater. But you know, no matter how many years you wait, know that the promise will happen in the perfect time. And we know that as we wait, we will never be disappointed. Psalm 25.3 says, Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. He's a God who keeps all of His promises. We see that even in our lives. And even as we look, Back at the Bible, he has thousands of years of history to back him up. He has never failed, not a single time. Joshua 21.45 says, Not one of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Can you say that? All came to pass. He did it for Abraham. He did it for Israel. He's going to do it for us. This, this verse is not only true during the time of Joshua, not only during the time of Abraham, but even up to this very day, he will be faithful to fulfill every single one of his promises because it is his character. He is unwavering. And he made sure that we would you know, be confident in all of these promises because through the line of the promised son, Isaac, came the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, you know, the relationship that Abraham had with God should not be possible for us because of our sin. There's a big wall of sin keeping us from him. That sin needed to be paid for and we cannot do it. That's why he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to pay for our sins. He took it on the cross. He took the death. That's why that wall of sin was broken. Now we can go to the Father. He can hear our cries and he listens and he will answer all because of Jesus Christ. And not only that, every single promise that you are holding on to, Jesus fulfilled it on the cross. Let me tell you this, every time we receive a promise from God, we think, oh, it's going to happen in the future. But we serve a God who is not bound by time. We serve a God who has seen everything from eternity past to eternity future. That's why when, when He says, when He gives us a promise, He's not stating something of the future. He is reporting to us something that has already happened. All because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. That's why you can claim these promises with all your heart. It says in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. All of the promise, we can claim it in whose name? 
in Jesus' name because He fulfilled it already for us. And Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for He who promised is faithful. We can be faithless, we can question all we want, but at the end of the day, as we fix our eyes on God, we can be assured that every single promise is a yes. And I'm sure as we have been talking here, a lot of promises were passing through your mind, a lot of questions were passing through your mind. Stop focusing on your capability, stop focusing on what the world is saying, start fixing your eyes on God. Hear His promises. Do not allow the nevers to be louder. Do not allow the voice of the world to be louder than God's voice in your life. He chooses, he asks us to choose faith today and in a wavering faith, always chooses to trust and persevere, being sure that all of God's promises have already been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. As we come to a close today, I encourage everyone to come back to God. Today we will ask Him to renew our faith. Today, we will ask Him to bring the excitement, to bring the passion when we think about His promises in our lives. Today, we will lift up our great God. Why don't we just pray to God right now? Lord, we thank You. Thank You for Your great love for us and we thank You for Your faithfulness in our lives. Thank You, Lord God, that every single promise that You have given us, we can hold fast to it and we can patiently wait for it to happen having that confidence really that it is not up to us but up to you and you have already finished it on the cross, Jesus Christ. Lord, even right now, once again, we come to you and we declare that this faith will not come from us. We ask that you once again fill us up with faith. We ask that you once again breathe new life and faith inside of us that we may face life filled with hope embracing every single promise and lord we thank you that even during this time of waiting you are preparing our hearts that when that promise comes to reality we would be able to give glory to you